Welcome to God Knows Where. I'm Brett Harris. We're moving around again today to take a look at one of the letters that we rarely, if ever, read in the church, the letter of Jude. It's short, and I'll read most of it in a minute, and we'll try to figure out why it made it into our scriptures and what we're supposed to do with it. Like last week's episode, it harkens back a bit to a story I think we spend way too much time with in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. I know these stories and passages that we're reading and we're going through these weeks now, they're not easy reads or listens, and I'm already thinking of all the ways that these episodes could be better. So thank you for going on this journey with me. Thank you for exploring things off the beaten path. It is so good to be with you and to be going on this journey together. So let me know what you think about what we're doing here. Let me know what you think about these episodes. I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd love for God knows where to do something more, something different, something offline and in the real world, let me know that too. I've been wondering about it. So let me know what you think. Let me know what you'd like to do together. Hit me up on Instagram or Facebook anytime and let me know. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for sharing the show with others around you. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Oh, Hey, Jude. A reading from the letter of Jude. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Beloved, while eagerly preparing to write you about the salvation we share, I find it necessary to write and appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain intruders have stolen in among you, people who long ago were designated for this condemnation as ungodly, who pervert the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you, though you were fully informed, that the Lord, who once for all saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which in the same manner as they indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural lust, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these dreamers also defile the flesh, reject authority, and slander the glorious ones. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, See, the Lord is coming with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict everyone of all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers and malcontents. They indulge their own lusts. They are bombastic in speech, flattering people to their own advantage. But you, beloved, must remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers indulging their own ungodly lusts. It is these worldly people, devoid of the Spirit, who are causing divisions. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are wavering. Save others by snatching them out of the fire and have mercy on still others with fear, hating even the tunic defiled by their bodies. 
Now, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand without blemish in the presence of his glory with rejoicing, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. I don't know what church you're a part of or if you even go to church these days, but how did you hear those words from Jude? That I just read. How did they fall on your ears? Can you hear your pastor or priest or any pastor or priest for that matter reading this letter from the pulpit and, and preaching on it? And if so, if you can imagine it, if you can hear them saying it, what do you think they would say? I think some of us can read this letter and find ample justification for hating and judging folks whose lives and love looks nothing like ours. I think some of us can read it and find ample need to contextualize the arguments he makes and historically situate the letter so that we can make it make sense today. I think some of us can read this letter and find reason to continue pointing the finger at people who don't do or say things the way we like, who don't think or act or speak like us. No matter what side we come down on it, on any of the arguments that Jude outlines, no matter how these words fall on our ears, we can use this letter as a weapon to prove that we are right and that they, whoever they are, are wrong. That the way God has spoken to us and shaped us is the only right way. And for those reasons alone, I'd be all right ignoring Jude altogether like we do so often. But we can't do that. It's in the canon. We have to read it, and we have to figure out how to make sense of this letter that we can all use against one another. To avoid some of the pitfalls of the early church, we have to make sense of this weapon of a letter, this warning Jude writes that paints a picture of the church as us versus them and is cloaked in the language of concern, even love, for others. I mean, Jude is doing a whole lot of warning here in just a few words. I just don't think we need to be warned about what Jude is worried about. I think this letter is a warning to us not to be or to write or to think like Jude. Have you ever gotten one of those sandwich emails? You ever sent one? You know what I'm talking about, where it starts off nice and complimentary and it ends with well wishes and kind regards, but in between all of that is something you didn't really want to hear or didn't really want to have to say. Jude's like that, only it's worse. This letter is more like, oh, hey, Jude here, God loves you, God doesn't love them. Watch out, because God won't love you either if you're like them, so don't be like them, okay? Okay, God loves you. Bye. When I read this letter and I think about how it comes across that way, I don't think about how I would preach on this short little letter from the pulpit. I think about how I would respond to it if it was an actual letter I received, if Jude wrote this to me or about me. I think about how I would respond to Jude. And I don't know how I would respond. I know how I did respond to a letter framed the same way that I got a couple of months ago, and I don't think that I responded to that one correctly either. It's election season in Mississippi, and our statewide offices and some local ones are 
up for re-election this year, and there were some heated races across the state, a couple with impacts on the county where I live. I opened the mailbox one day over the summer, and there was a letter, hand-addressed to me. And those don't show up too often anymore, so I opened it up before I got back in the car to drive up the driveway. The letter started out a lot like Jude. Well wishes, hey neighbor, we both love Jones County. And it closed the same way too. But in the middle it said more or less that if I love Jones County, there was only one candidate to vote for in a particular race because that candidate's opponent didn't love Jones County the same way, didn't share the values we all share here if we love Jones County, and that they would hurt what we love about this place that we all call home. It was an interesting way to try to get my vote. And I thought about writing this person back and starting up a bit of correspondence, but I didn't think I could respond in love. So I drove up to the house and I walked in the door and I threw the letter in the garbage. And I hadn't thought about that letter until this week. When we don't read Jude, when we avoid reading Jude, we basically do the same thing. We ignore it. We toss it aside. We throw it away. and Don't pay attention to what it might have been preserved and presented to teach us. And yet, when we read it and choose to weaponize Jews' words to demonize people who aren't like us or to do things we think God doesn't like, when we read it and mimic it in the ways that we talk to others, cloaking our disdain or disagreement with them under a veil of love for God, or saying we love them so we've got to tell them these things, we miss what it might have been preserved to teach us too. So read it, don't read it. It doesn't seem like we can win, does it? Maybe. But I think we can read it differently. I think if we look at this letter, maybe all the letters in the New Testament, and imagine Jesus reading them and responding, we can make better sense of it and find something to hold on to or carry with us. Jesus got asked all kinds of questions. He was presented with all manner of situations and possibilities to consider by people who knew the stories and traditions and interpretations of their faith like the backs of their hands. He chose to ask a lot of questions. He didn't take their questions or their invitations or their conversations and and toss them into the garbage can. He engaged them. He spoke up. But he always challenged the premise. Like Leo McGarry in the West Wing saying if he didn't like the premise or the question a reporter asked, he didn't have to accept it. I think Jesus would have read Jude's letter and asked him why he was so concerned with the ways others were living their lives and the choices they were making. I think he would have asked Jude if he himself had ever done anything that went against his tradition's teachings and then told him if he hadn't, well, then he was free to cast stones. I think Jesus, because he's Jesus, might have pointed out things Jude wouldn't have thought Jesus could have known about him. And Jude would have run back home like the woman at the well and told everyone there about Jesus, about what he had said and what he had done. And he wouldn't have thought again about the people that he disagreed with. I think Jesus might have reminded Jude that it's very easy for us to point fingers, but it's really hard to point them in the right direction when there's a log jammed in our eyes. He might even have reminded him that He was supposed to love his neighbor as himself. And then Jesus might have asked him, Hey Jude, do you love Jude? Jesus would have reminded Jude that the heart of the gospel isn't 
escaping the fear of punishment, but it's embracing the hope that springs from love. But you and I both know that love is hard. It's hard to love because we're all so different. We all show love and need love in different ways. And loving is made even harder when, like Jude, we speak lovingly in one breath and then harshly in the next. We can't do that. It sends mixed signals. And yet we do it all the time. We preach love and hate in the same sentence sometimes. I saw a pastor online the other day talking about love. He's talking about how he thought so much of our struggle to love one another as we love ourselves is because too often in the church we're taught that we're unlovable, that we're unworthy of love, that we're not good enough, that there's something inherently wrong with us, that it takes a miracle for us to be lovable. And so if we're taught that about ourselves, if we come to believe that that's true about ourselves, and then we're also told that we're supposed to love others as ourselves, we can't. We can't love others as ourselves if we don't love ourselves. We can only see others as unlovable and unworthy and never enough and inherently wrong and then point it out every time we see it. Something's got to give. The only way to embrace the hope that comes from love is to speak lovingly in every single breath. The only way to do that is to allow Jesus to be the lens through which we see everything, each other, this world, these letters we find in our scriptures. If we can do that, if we can use Jesus as the lens through which we see everything, then these letters we read, these difficult stories we hear from thousands of years ago that we struggle to make sense of. If we can do that, then they can be the guide that the church needs today to continue becoming the church Jesus hoped we'd build in his absence. We just have to come to them with the same curiosity that Jesus came to us. So speak lovingly this week with every word that you share. Speak lovingly to yourself. Speak lovingly to others. Ask some questions. Give some grace. These are the ways that we let Jesus and his love speak through us, not in fits and spurts, not in the beginning and the end, but all the way from the beginning to the end. God Knows Where is written, produced, and edited by me, Brett Harris, with music by Thomas Steinwinder and Michael Trest, and unwavering support from my wife, Elizabeth. If you like what you hear, I'd encourage you to share God Knows Where with your friends and family and give us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this show. It'll mean the world to me, and it'll help more people find God Knows Where. Thanks in advance for your help and for being here and for listening. Until next time, take these words from William Sloan Coffin with you. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. Grace to risk something big for something good. 
Grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your minds and think through them, and your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire.